Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Marshall, Colin made love to a PhD from MIT. Hey, look, you guys, if you can't say it in front of me, don't say it at all. <laughs> Marshall is the father of Carla's child. Oh, Marshall? Yeah. I don't believe it. I believe everything. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Everybody knows your name You wanna go where people know People are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me this episode is the host of Pop Culture Affidavit, as well as In Country, a podcast dedicated to Marvel's war comic, The Nam, and required reading with Tom and Stella. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Tom Panarese. What's up, Tom? How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for being uh, my, my guest on this episode. I reached out to you. You were one of the first people, um, and I thought of this episode. Um, and this episode is going to be Season 1, Episode 15, Father Knows Last. But before we get into that, uh, your first time on the show, you have to answer the question, what is your cheer story? How and when did you first get into the show? I I was trying to think about this because I was trying to think about when I first watched it and, and, and in what circumstances. And I would say... I don't know what year, but I know I probably first started watching it when it was rerun on WPIX in, uh, in the New York area in the late 80s into the early 90s because um, for a while they would rerun the show always at 11 o'clock after the news. The show, if I was up that late, especially in the summer, I would watch it. But for a while, they would run it at 7 o'clock after their barrage of um, like Full House, Family Matters, Charles in Charge, Happy Days, whatever they were running. And then before um, either a Yankees game, sometimes they would have the the late, the early news or, or a movie or whatever. Um, but I, I knew of the show for years before I was watching it because I remember my parents used to get TV Guide. And not like – not the newspaper insert TV Guide but the actual digest yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We size magazine to, to do a call out to another show on this podcast <laughs> uh, network. Maybe if they run out of material, they should just start talking about TV Guide because it's digest sized. I'm sure uh, that's on Rob's radar. <laughs> I'm sure that's what he's waiting for. Anyway, so we got TV Guide, and TV Guide would run, especially in the mid '80s, um, would run the occasional episode about Cheers. Uh, uh, sorry, story about Cheers, and I I do remember them running something about Shelley Long leaving, and I remember I knew who Kirstie Alley was because by the time she started Cheers, I had seen Star Trek Two, mm-hmm. so it was like, oh, and I think I probably had seen Summer School as well, okay? Because my crush on Kirstie Alley comes directly from the movie Summer School. <laughs> She's so smoking hot in that movie. Anyway, uh, but most – so when when I started watching it first run, which was probably in its last like maybe 
three or four seasons, I was watching mainly the Rebecca era and I was getting the Diane stuff through reruns on channel 11. Um, I had on tape for years and I think it eventually got taped over the 200th episode, mm-hmm. which if you remember, I know you're, you're a while off from that, but if you remember it was, it wasn't even an episode. It was like a, a panel and a clip show. It was actually pretty ahead of its time considering how many, how now you have like the Paley center and, and various comic cons will have these panels that we watch as uh, like extra features on DVDs and things like that. Right. But like they had that panel with the whole, whole cast and yeah, it was hosted um, by John McLaughlin. From the yeah, McLaughlin. You know, <laughs> that's my memory of John McLaughlin or the Dana Carvey sketches. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I would watch that over and over and over again, mainly not for the whole, inside scoop on cheers but for all the clips you know because I'm, I'm a sucker for a clip show of a show that i've i've watched for a while and then i just remember um watching it first run probably from around then all the way on to the end of its run especially in the last season where they were hyping it up like crazy because it was even on its way out it was one of the biggest rated shows on tv and they were I know NBC was hoping that it would pull like mash finale numbers and i think it did rank pretty high and uh I just I remember um, and then I remember I think the very next year they put like Seinfeld in its time slot and Seinfeld was like the biggest show for a while. So mm-hmm. it, it took a while for NBC to stop dominating Thursday nights. But um, but yeah, so that's kind of my my whole kind of history with the show. I came in a little late, but I caught up by syndicated reruns, which is the TV 80s TV, 90s TV equivalent of uh, diving into the back issue bins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mine is similar. I mean, because of how how young I was when the show was born, like I knew my, you know, I watched it with my family. But the first time when I started picking up on it and queuing into it and and really being invested in the story and the characters was probably around season seven or definitely season eight, um, which was you know Rebecca had been on the show for a couple of years at that point. But at the same time, by then they started doing the repeats and syndication, um, and yeah. I think it was probably in WGN, which was a Chicago affiliate uh, that was showing the the reruns either at night or around dinner time or something like that. So, mm-hmm. and I think we also <laughs> we also taped the 200th episode because I remember watching <laughs> that because for a while that was where I could see clips from older episodes. Yeah, um, because for, because you know when I wasn't catching like the syndicated ones, I wasn't seeing Diane a lot, so I could see clips of Diane episodes from that from the 200th episode clip show. So that was that was really interesting. So yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, uh, let us get into this episode again, season one, episode 15, Father Knows Last. Uh, this episode, just like the previous episode, was written by Heidi Perlman, the sister of Rhea Perlman, who plays Carla. It was directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, January 13th, 1983. Carla is pregnant with her fifth child, and the father is Marshall, the professor from MIT. At least, that's what she tells everyone, including Marshall. But when Diane learns it's a lie and the real father is Carla's ex-husband, and that Carla lied so Marshall would feel compelled to support the child, Diane pressures Carla to confess. Eventually, guilt gets the better of Carla and she tells Marshall the truth. He promptly dumps her, but the rest of the Cheers gang put together a collection to help Carla financially, and she leaves with the whole bar singing You'll Never Walk Alone from the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Carousel. So, Tom, what did you think of this episode? I was pleasantly surprised. Now, I will admit, I have not watched an episode of Cheers all the way through in in quite a long time. And I haven't watched an episode from the first season in in a long time as well. 
and uh, I was I was surprised by how quickly the chemistry between these actors and um, how well was and how well the dialogue was popping and stuff. You know, there are some shows that really take until like like they're maybe their second, even third season to really hit their stride. Um, Friends is a great example of that, a show that has a strong first season, but you get into the second or third season of that show and that show is really, everything is gelled. And, and Seinfeld, which I mentioned earlier, is kind of that way. The first couple of seasons of that show are a little bit rough. You get to like the third or fourth season and it's really, really gelling. But mm-hmm. you could really see it in this episode. Um, and something I noticed but after I finished the, the episode for the first time that I, I ended up rewatching it last night was that this entire episode, I'm pretty sure, takes place in real time. It's it's not a bottle episode in that there are two quick set changes because there's a scene in the pool room mm-hmm. and there's a scene in, in Sam's office. But everybody's wearing the same outfit through the entire episode. And it really – it begins um, – I even think the gag in the beginning, the pre-credit, the cold open gag – is, is takes place on the same day. I think it takes place over the course of the same day or, yeah. or the same shift or so because nobody changes clothes. Everything is just within that. So, um, and I was like, oh, that, and you don't even notice it's not done, done as a gimmick. It's just done as like one almost like long scene. And a lot of, a lot of it I noticed happens kind of organically, even the bits that are very well set up. It just feels very uh, natural. And, and um, for a first season of a television show to have something that, that well orchestrated um, that speaks to how well that show, that, well, how good that show is going to become too. Yeah. The, you know, the writing absolutely. And, and you're right because even like the, the commercial break between acts one and two, it's not a cliffhanger, but like it picks up immediately after that. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. a gag and it, it starts right away. You're right. Like it feels like, you know, it's a 22 minute episode. It feels like the episode takes place over the course of 22 to 25 minutes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I I like them. I've always I was noticing a couple of things that some of the notes I wrote down. There's a in the very opening of the show. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's a bit with it's a it's a stupid little bit about Sam's black book, right? Um, but there's natural movement throughout this show. Like I think Diane's giving him crap, you know, because that's what Diane does. But she's like filling pretzel bowls the whole time, mm-hmm. and like Sam, you know, every once in a while, say you see Sam drinking, and and he would do this throughout the entire run of the show. Like he was drink, he's always drinking bottled water or yep. seltzer or something, you know. And and then of course, like you know, little things like Norm's always drinking beer and stuff. But but there's there's a natural placement of things in and around the bar that doesn't feel out of place. So they have the actors doing something while they are talking to one another. And it's so I think that adds to kind of the naturalness of what is essentially a sitcom, which are always so sort of artificial in some way. Right. And it's one of those things. I mean, in a lot of ways you can see how the show feels like it was written like a play, like each episode is a mini play, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times you see that it's performed that way too. And you're right. You definitely see it with Sam, with Ted Danson and his performance in the episodes because he's always doing something. He always looks like he's working at a bar. Mm-hmm. Like when he's not talking, yeah. he's got a dish rag or he's moving glasses or something like that. Or he's yeah. a, And a lot of the other actors do it too. And Shelley Long, you're right in that, in the cold open era, the teaser, she's, you know, filling pretzel bags and everything. And they, they really feel like they're not just waiting for their turn to deliver dialogue. 
So the teaser, the setup, because I didn't mention it in the synopsis, it's essentially Diane picks up the phone. She gets a call that Sam, his you know latest date, injured herself. She says she fell out of her shoes. And so she's got to cancel their date. So Sam needs to find a replacement date for tonight. So he goes to the Little Black Book. And Diane, of course, gives him crap about this. And this was, again, I keep coming back to that. This was one of the things that I was like, so much of this show feels timeless and it ages really well. But Sam's womanizing is going to be one of those dangers, <laughs> one of those like minefields where it's like, are they going to navigate this successfully this episode? Or is this going to be one of those things where in this day and age, you're like, yeah, it's pretty skeezy. Um, but I think, I think he, he, it works this time. And I, I think because when he pulls it out, when he pulls out the black book and Norman Cliff makes such a big deal about it, that I, I think the fact that Diane gives him crap about it so much and that helps kind of make it feel like he's, you know, I, I think Sam always comes across as a good guy, whereas like Dan Fielding from Night Court, John Larroquette's character, like they're both womanizers, but Dan is a scumbag. And, yeah. and it's hard to watch him in a modern context. Like, I've gone back and I've watched Night Court. It's hard to like Dan. It's almost impossible to like Dan for, oh, the, yeah, things that we, for the things ball. that we used to love about him in the 80s. Yeah. But, but yeah. you don't have that problem with Sam. It's, <laughs> well, and what's amazing, is, and, I, and I, maybe this is just with, with 35 years of hindsight of watching the character. Now, I watched The Good Place, and watching Ted Danson as a totally different character on that speaks to, like, how well he, I mean, maybe it's how he's evolved as an actor, his versatility as an actor, but like how well he played into that role in that, you know, he, he was never just a one note sort of actor or character. And, um, you know, even early on when you've got, he, he's really not the focus of this episode either, but he does, he does get his, you know, he does get his, his little moments here and there. Um, the, the hair always cracks me up because Dance's hair is like a shell <laughs> at various points in this show. Um, but like, you know, like Carla, Carla's the center of the episode and, and, and as is Diane, um, have we, we haven't seen Nick yet. We have not. We don't see him until season two. This okay. is this is one of the first times where we actually get something of a physical description of him. Um, we've we've seen we've known that a picture of Nick can reduce Diane and Sam to, to laughter. But this one, because yeah, because Carla confesses at first to Diane that the father of her what's going to be her fifth child is actually her ex husband and Nick, and she talks about she gives this long monologue about how she'd had a crappy day at work. You know, Sam was yelling at her for something. She got stiffed on tips. She manages. Diane was there, um, mm-hmm. as if as if that's another that's nail. One of my favorite lines. Yeah. You you were here. Like. Yeah, as if that's just another one of the day's annoyances. Yeah. Um, but then, like, so she goes home and she's drinking a bottle and, and she sees through the window. She's like, "It's my ex husband Nick," and she she mentions he had a fishnet t shirt. Which I love me some fishnets, so that's a great image. And beneath the fishnet T-shirt, she can see his panther tattoo. <laughs> Doesn't like Diane vomit burp a little bit yes, or something? Yes. Like you can see her just yes, kind of because, do that gesture, right? Because as she's describing this, she's like, "No woman could resist that." And Diane's like, <laughs> "Oh my god, who is this person?" <laughs> well, and like, and, and you and I, having watched the show before, know it's Dan Hedaya, right? Who, who, like, is just. <laughs> I mean, granted, Dan Hedaya has one of the best lines from the movie Clueless, where he turns to the guy who's taken his daughter out and says, "I have a forty-five and a shovel. I doubt anyone would miss you." Um, 
And, and of course he is, of course he is immortal in the movie commando as like the South American wannabe dictator. But yeah, like him as him as Nick Tortelli would, would, would be one of the, all the Carla's like men in her life. And the thing I, the vibe I got from Marshall, the, uh, mm-hmm. the MIT was Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like actually... Lewis Tully, you know, yes. he's like, <laughs> I, I, I can which, definitely see that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, are you the key? I'm the key master, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's that total like. Granted, it's, it's a prototypical nerd, you know. Right, right. Um, and I love how Diane just kind of figures it out and drags her back, and then we go to commercial with <laughs> Diane like grabbing her hair and like <laughs> wrenching it back, and it's it's. There's some really great physical comedy bits in this in this entire uh, entire episode. There is, and when Diane picks up on it, she goes back and she's like, "Oh, you're so clever!" And she says, "You sly boots." <laughs> I have I have never heard that word or that phrase anywhere else but this episode. But once I heard it, I started using that thing. Like I started, I started saying something as Sly Boots, and like if I was creating a supervillain, I would name him or her Sly Boots. I just think that's like a, a funny name for somebody who's mischievous yeah. and lying and deceitful and like like um, manipulative. I was like, that's that's great words, Sly Boots. <laughs> well, and then she she's the one who starts that weird sing along at the end, which is so odd, but at the same time. It totally undercuts what could have been a total maudlin ending because it's a very like Sam getting the money for the baby and everything. It's a very sitcom ending. You know, let's do something nice and then everybody will have their happy moment. And Diane just starts singing and the entire place starts singing and Carla's walking out. Like at first she's like – she has this look on her face like what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then she just kind of goes with it and, it and so it just undercuts that silly sitcom-y aspect of the end of the plot and and kind of like tips it into this absurd moment where she's walking out of the bar with a beer pitcher full of what's probably about like maybe a hundred bucks i mean maybe, it's probably yeah. not a lot of money <laughs> but it's just it's it, it it makes it it ends on a very very funny note yeah it's like the the whole progression of the ending we're kind of going out of order because i want to come back to some of the earlier yeah, stuff sorry. Later, but but no I, I let's let's get to the ending because yeah you're mm-hmm. once once she confesses she takes marshall to the back office and like two seconds later he walks out he's like i'm out of here and sam knows the truth now and he takes marshall back in there and sam it's 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 kind of funny because again you're right Sam is not the lead but he does get this moment to shine where it's like you realize why people like him and why he's like kind of like the hero because he knows that what Carla did is absolutely wrong and he does not endorse her lying or her deceit but he still tries to convince Marshall to stay with Carla and support her mm-hmm. because he's like he's like you have the opportunity to have a family that's something incredible that you can have a love and you can raise this child as your own you can be part of this thing and he's He's like, I'm jealous. All the things I have, I don't have a family. I don't have somebody to be there and wait for me when I come home. He's like, you can have that. He's like, if you don't marry Carla, I will. And Marshall's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not marrying her, and walks out. <laughs> and then Sam has to kind of like look at Carla and say, you know, I was just, <laughs> I was just saying that. So then Sam goes back out there, and they're trying to figure out what do we do next. And you're right, it's the, this very somber down moment. And you're like, is this how the the show's going to end? And Norm actually has a joke in the sequence that I, I almost had uh, as one of my as like my home run my my funniest gag in this moment. Except it's a weird thing because the joke isn't met with the laughter that I think it warrants, and I think it's because it's such a somber moment that they're mm-hmm. like it's not something you not a time that you should laugh. But 
he's like talking about how like, you know Carla something he's trying to be uplifting and then he just kind of casually tells, tells Sam like as he's flipping through like the, the bowl of peanuts he's like do you have any more of those like goldfishy crackers <laughs> things and Sam's like we don't have goldfishy crackers and Norm's like really what did I just eat, just eat. <laughs> he just starts he just starts looking in the bowl yeah. like and I love that moment but like if you listen to the like the laugh track it's just kind of like a <laughs> like a really yeah. I was like that deserved a bigger laugh except the moment is just kind of like ah oh, screwed up so then yeah. Carla comes out they've kind of <laughs> they've got yeah a, a picture full of ones and fives and everything that they've collected from the people and Diane starts singing now my trivia beat for this episode it's a little known fact as Cliff would say at the end of this episode, uh, Diane starts singing You'll Never Walk Alone, and the rest of the gang kind of join her in singing the song. Apparently, that was not the song that the producers came up with originally. It was going to be some other, I don't know what song it was, but something sentimental about having babies and everything like that. And, mm-hmm. But while they were shooting it, like the Charles brothers and the director, James Burroughs, they just felt like something was missing and the scene wasn't working. So while they were shooting in the middle of this, like Glenn Charles asked Shelley Long if she knew the lyrics to You'll Never Walk Alone. And Shelley just started singing that. And then immediately they started like re rescripting, reblocking like the last couple minutes. And Shelley mm. Long had to teach the song to most of the extras in the cast that didn't <laughs> know it. So it was just kind of like this impromptu thing that they just kind of had to do on the fly. And it's a weirdish ending, but it kind of works. It does, like I said, it, it undercuts what could have been a very, very pat ending, you know. It's like, oh, that's cute and everything. That would have taken away from the real kind of biting comedy that is in this entire episode. <laughs> because you, you you feel bad for Carla, but at the same time, like, Carla's not the type of character that you, like, feel that she's, like, put down or depressed. Or, like, you know, she's – you know Carla will be okay because mm-hmm. she's tough and, like, you know, so and, – and most of the characters on this show, you, you feel that way about. You're not – you know, your heart isn't weeping for – any of them in that in that particular way, like this was um, uh, different strokes or something like that. You know, that's that that's where I was coming from with those like really pat endings, sitcom yeah. endings. So yeah, you're right. It, it it is a very weird sort of ending, but it but for this show, it just totally works. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like I'll be like whenever I get to this episode, like during a rewatch or something, I, I always kind of have to like cross my fingers and like remember because. When it comes to episodes that center around Carla, it, I, I'm, I'm very hit or it's very hit or miss mm-hmm. with me. Um, and Carla is an amazing character, but she's an amazing supporting character. Yeah. When they come to episodes where she is like the leader, she's instrumental to the plot. They can be awesome, especially like if it involves Nick uh, and stuff yeah. like that, or like or Eddie or something. But there's also a few episodes where I'm like, ah, and like, and sometimes I just don't think she works as the dramatic lead of the show that Um, is true this one i think it's okay i think she's pretty good uh as the lead of this one i don't think it's too bad i do think shelly long does a lot of the heavy lifting uh in their scene together um but i also think like by this point carla the the writers kind of like know carla and they know like the the acidic (laughs) like way to play her and she's not as like She's not a harpy like she was in like episode three or something like that. Yeah, um, and they've set her up with a scheme that is destined to fail. It's a classic plot. Um, it's not. It, it's convoluted, but it's not so convoluted that like you can't picture it actually not working but happening. Mm-hmm. You know that she kind of she kind of slept with this guy after like she she knew she was pregnant with Nick's baby. Right. 
And so she kind of, she's, you know, she's trying to work this kind of con and Diane who isn't stupid totally sees it. And, you know, and, and you're right. Chili Long does a lot of the heavy lifting in it, but I think she needs to, because that's the type of character that Diane is, right? you know, because she's a, she's just so she's, she's always crazy pretentious, but she's also just kind of like, um, (laughs) you could tell that like, as a person, Diane is trying to be compassionate toward Carla, but she is always so condescending yeah and and uh and and so that's why you know all carla has to do is be there and just kind of spit fire you know as as it is Mm -hmm. so but they both they they work really well in that scene in the back of the pool room too right right. um and then there's the part and i was staying in the pool room scene Mm -hmm. there's the part where carla starts to describe this thing that nick can do (laughs) where he like just Something to the back, like the way he touches or breathes on the back of their neck that just reduces women to jelly. And <laughs> and Carla starts to kind of duplicate this maneuver, and Cliff happens to walk in, and it looks like Carla and and Shelley Long are about to kiss or something. And he's like, hey, you know, I, I understand. I'm an 80s kind of guy or whatever. <laughs> and it's just kind of weird the way they played off. And then Carla does this thing to, to Cliff. He's like, I don't feel anything. And he starts leaving. He's like, hey, if you want a twa for that menage, I'll be at the bar. And of course, trying to play cool. And then later on, like, Norm comes in, he's like, what did you do to Cliff? We had to pull him off the wooden Indian. And then when the next time you see him, he's, like, hyperventilating at the bar, like, covered in sweat. And Coach has the beer going, beer, Norm, (laughs) sip, beer, sip. It's good. But it's kind of like, like, I was trying to say, I was like, does this scene work? I was like, yeah, this scene kind of works. It does work. Well, because, because it's all done, like, secondhand you know it's all it's norm it's 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 got that great timing of norm just walking in what did you do to cliff (laughs) (laughs) like we don't see it um and sometimes bits like that are better left unseen and and um you know seinfeld did that really really well where they would describe certain things that would happen and it was funnier because you never actually saw it happen right but you're hearing it from the characters and things like that it's like it's that a, actually makes it funny. It's a shortcut for phys- for a physical comedy gag. Yes. That actually, when when the physical comedy gag could easily be silly and kind of fall mm-hmm. flat if it's not played yeah. well, if yeah. you just describe it secondhand and describe how weird it is or how like ridiculous it is, that actually gives you because you're like it's it's the monster you don't see. It's your yeah. brain fills in the gaps and yeah. makes it amazing. <laughs> so well, and and it all depends on George Wentz's delivery, yeah, which is of perfect. <laughs> you know, you you have to it is it's it's a setup and a punchline that, that right. he and, and delivers. And it like, helps because like after he says it, he's like we just had to pull him off a wooden Indian, Carla and Diane like storm off and like head back to the bar or whatever. And Norm just has this moment where he's left alone he just kind of like looks around like what is like like he's expecting to find something some clue left behind that they they did to to you know whatever Uh. Uh, um just a few little notes uh going back to the the joke about the little black book and i mentioned like how i i think they pull it off in the teaser because uh diane gives sam crap about it what i think really makes it the best and makes it okay is that they come back to it towards the yes. end of the episode when Diane tells Sam that that Marshall isn't the father, that it's actually Nick. Diane seems like, I, I can't believe it. I know her ex-husband. He's a selfish macho pig with one thing on his mind. And he says something like, what kind of woman would fall for somebody like that? And without missing a bit, Diane just picks up the black book and starts reading off Read names. names. It's perfect. It's so well done. It is. 
gosh, yeah. Uh, Coach has a bunch of really good lines in this one. Um, kind of the, the, one of one of the things in getting into the the guest cast. Um, Marshall Lipton, who was played by Mark King, this is his second and final appearance on Cheers, um, and that was one of the kind of the interesting things about this episode is this isn't a two-parter, but there is a bit of continuity because Marshall was introduced in the previous episode mm. in a gag with Carla that at the time doesn't make a lot of sense because mm-hmm. he's only in the in the previous episode for like two minutes or something, and Carla is flirting with him and hitting on him, and you're like, why? And it's it doesn't seem like she's teasing him. It seems like she's unironically flirting with this cybernetics professor nerd. And he actually calls her on. He's like, do you really like me? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And you're kind of like, that's really weird of, that Carlo would be hitting on this guy and not like doing it to make fun of him. Well, a week later when you see this episode, you're like, oh, she was pregnant at that time. She wasn't yeah. showing, but she was pregnant, and she was that was the first part of her seduction. She was leading him on because she was going to call him that night and sleep with him. And mm-hmm. then, you know, a week later, tell him that she was pregnant and it was his. So that is that nice little bit of continuity. Um, the other the other guest cast, um, there is a couple sitting down at <laughs> the bar. And we will get to this, I think, when we get yes, to our, our home run section. Yeah. Um, but the couple, it's a man and a woman. Um, the woman, Mary, is played by Mary Ellen Trainer, who yes. I refer to as the woman from the 80s. <laughs> she was the she was the psych uh the, the police department psych evaluator in Lethal Weapon. Yep. She in, was uh the news uh, uh that news anchor on Die Hard. Yes. She was in Monster Squad. She was in Parker Lewis Can't Lose. She was his mom. Yeah. She was the mom. She was um Josh Brolin and what's his name's mom in The Goonies. Uh, she was in Romancing mm-hmm. the Stone, but this was actually her first credit. If you go on IMDb, um, yeah, I looked it up. Yeah, yeah I was like, oh wow. Was, but yeah, um, and she is just playing. And then her her date, her husband or boyfriend or something uh, named Tom, is played by Herb <laughs> Mitchell, who also appeared in a ton of TV shows, everything from Mash and that's for Rob. Uh, he was in Knight Rider, The A-Team, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, Seinfeld, uh, everything up to NYPD Blue, ER, The West Wing. Um, he also appears in one other episode of Cheers, I think in the second season, playing a different character, but that's, or I don't, mm-hmm. he doesn't really have a line in this one. Um, but yeah, they, they, those two have a great moment, which we will come back to. Yes, we will. Um, and then... There's nothing like signature about Coach in this episode. I just love like he's he is so on like everything he says is funny, which you can say about a, a lot of episodes with Coach. Um, mm. From the beginning, like when they're talking, when like before Carly even arrives, they're like you know you know why she's late and everything, and they they're all kind of grumbling about what it is. And Carla walks in, she's clearly showing she's got the baby bump, and Coach is like maybe it's not what we think. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, when he's kind of like um, he's talking about his own child or something like that, or because Marshall's like what like Carla, what should we name the girl? He's, Coach is like you know my daughter, you know my wife really wanted to name her Lisa, but I always thought we should stick with the original name. They're like, what's the original name? He's like, Baby Girl Pantuso. <laughs> like, where he's like, where where Sam's like, I can teach him how to pitch, and then he's like, Well, yeah, I can teach him how to slide in a second. Go, Coach, you got a bad hit, but I can teach him how to swim. <laughs> coach, you're afraid of water. Well, I can just sit there. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, yeah. Uh, um, 
God, yeah, I, I, I think we gotta like we gotta move on and get to uh, mm-hmm. the home run section. So yes, um, uh, really quick for our superlatives, um, Norm's tab again. You're right, like this is kind of a condensed time, and we don't see Norm a lot. So I think he only had. I'm maybe I'm being generous, but I'm giving him credit for three beers this episode. Uh, takes his his season total up to seventy six for now. Who did you have for your employee of the week? Who did you think was the best performance or, or best character in this episode? I had Diane. Yeah. Because um, she's pretentious. She's a total pain in the butt. But she holds her own against Carla. And, and, and it's Shelley Long's ability to do a reaction shot in in some of these – to some of these ma- – like to some of Sam's jokes in the beginning, like the kind of rolling her eyes or the mm-hmm. – the the, the 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 vomit burping when she's talking when Carla's talking about Nick, but also the fact that that she's that she's playing Diane as not a um not this kind of like not a weak character like she's not afraid to just yank Carla's hair back in that scene and then of course the shining moment at the end with her like singing the uh, <laughs> yeah. the song yeah so I think I mean as much as this is a as much as Carla is the center of the conflict of the story um, it's it really is in a big way Diane a, 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 like a way for Shelley Long to just kind of show what she can do with this character I mean she's instigating it she's the one who's putting Carla into like crisis and pushing her towards like the these these well, what Diane does <laughs> yeah that is actually her function a lot of times that's what she yeah. does so um, you, I, I completely agree. I co-signed everything you just said. I, Diane was mine, sort of, sort of by default. I mean, I, I, I really think this was a strong episode for Coach and Norm, just because mm-hmm. everything they said I thought was great. But <laughs> the, the total, the cumulative, like how much, how much they actually said, I was like, I, it doesn't really compare to what to what you get from the other. <laughs> Honorable mention to Norm's Vera, the one Vera joke where yes, he's like, I that, can't coach. Oh, I'm sorry, Norm. No, I just look at Vera. I just I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> he's talking about having kids. Yes, that was my runner-up for my home run, too. I, yeah. like, he's like, coach is like, why Why didn't you ever have kids? I, like, I can't. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, no, I look at Vera. I just can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, so, the, yeah, that was almost my runner-up, but... Um, yeah, I think we're both in mm-hmm. the best moment. And again, like similar to the very pilot episode, the funniest gag is given to a guest star. Um, yeah. it's, it's not one of the regular jokes, but this was the thing that I thought I instantly I thought of this joke and I was like, I think Tom would get a kick out of this episode. <laughs> That's why I wanted you on my guest. But the setup for it is once Diane knows the truth and Carla's like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to tell him. He's going to support me. Diane starts telling Carla about the Telltale Heart, uh, the short story by Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. And Carla picks up her tray, and she's serving drinks to this table with our guest stars, Tom and Mary, Mary played by Mary Ellen Trainer, and she's just giving them their glasses. And as Diane is describing the plot of the Telltale Heart and this boy who murders an older man, and after the death, he can still hear the bar, the heart beating. Ba-boom. 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 <laughs> and, this, like, and she just keeps on describing the story. As she's doing this, you're supposed to be watching Carla kind of internalize this and trying to shut this out. But if you watch Mary Ellen Trainer, you see her start to get uncomfortable. You see her start to like, kind of like rub her neck and like she's yeah. obviously this isn't a thing, but as she as Diane just keeps going, ba boom, ba boom, you're waiting for Carla to react until just out of nowhere this strange woman who we've never seen before just stands up and goes, All right, all right, I can't take it anymore. Tom, I've been cheating on you <laughs> And, she's like, and she turns to Diane, she says, I'm sorry, and she storms out. 
<laughs> and you could kind of see it coming, but even then, it's so brilliant. Because <laughs> later on, it what C- Diane was hoping would happen with Carla happens. Because she's like, yeah, yeah, Diane, yeah. stop it with the babooms. And Sam's like, Diane's in the back. Like, what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah, it's getting it's getting to her. So, yeah, the, the whole yeah. thing ended up working. But there's the delayed reaction. Oh, it's but so it, great. But in the meantime, just this explosion from this total guest cast who has no other line. She's just like, all right, all right, I'm sorry. Tom, I've been cheating on you. And she leaves. And the whole bar is just stunned stupid. Like, what did we just see? And you see Diane feeling like... Oh, like almost like kind of like crushed. Like this is like collateral damage. <laughs> exactly. That was not. That was not the the law of unintended it, consequences. Exactly, and that was my favorite bit of the entire episode as yeah, well. Yeah. I, I knew that we were going to have the same bit because it's just like, it's just it's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And I think I would defy anybody who watches this episode not to to second that one because I think it gets the greatest reaction from the audience too. Like the mm-hmm. laugh track is noticeably louder for that one. It's just like yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you have any other thoughts about this episode? No, not really. I think we covered everything. I will say, though, this is just um, – because this is my first time on here. Um, so I'm watching it on Netflix. And, of course, Netflix is has that little rectangle that pops up and it says skip intro. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, you do not skip the theme song to Cheers. And then – um, and this is something that that bugs me about like when you're watching an old show, like an old Star Trek or something. And um, – it will if you don't do anything automatically click to the next episode. I love the end credits of an episode mm-hmm. of Cheers. I think it's because it used to be on like it always feels like the end of the night to me. Mm. And maybe it's the way the clarinet or whatever is playing and it's just very slow and it's just kind of very casual and um so it's just um it always and maybe because I watched a lot of episodes at eleven o'clock at night, so like you know, I probably would go to bed after this and and stuff and and um you know, and for years, I I may have watched Wings after Cheers back in the, you know, mm-hmm. back in the early '90s. But for the most part, it was kind of the last one of the last shows that was on. So it always felt like you know, okay, the night's over and everything. It's one. It is one of the better end of the episode credit things because it's just the shot of the bar, the the that lettering and and the um and the uh, and and the slow theme song. And um, I also always love. And they do this for just about every episode of the show. I've always loved how the show always ends on just kind of a beat, and then it goes to black with the with the Charles Burroughs Charles or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the creator things, as opposed to like you know the freeze frame with the applause or anything. It right. just kind of always ends on this kind of like boom. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so just little things about just like about most of the episodes of that show. But no, it's this was really fun, and, and hopefully I'll be back for. Uh, for other for other episodes, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd I'd love talking to you about this. So yeah, you'll you'll definitely come back. Um, yeah, and, and just getting back to that last point, I, I agree. There's something about like the the last that final shot of the bar and the the closing music. We've talked about how this show is very much like it could have been a play. It reminds me of like the curtain after the show, mm-hmm. like when the cast is filed out and the curtain goes back down, but you're you still kind of have that little outro feeling. Um, mm-hmm. That's just something about that the finality, and it's yeah, really, really good. So yeah, uh, well, yeah, Tom, thank you very much for being on this episode. You will be back in the future, cool. um, but until then, where can our listeners find you if they want to hear more from you? What other shows do you do? 
I have three podcasts over at the Two True Freaks Network, um, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. Um, one of them is In Country. I'm taking an issue-by-issue issue look at the Marvel Comics war comic, The Nom. Um, I also have Required Reading with Tom and Stella, which is where uh, Stella from the Batgirl, the Oracle podcast, and I sit down and we pick apart one work of literature every month. Um, one of us chooses the work and uh, the other one reacts and we, we do this sort of a, a book club literary analysis type of thing. Uh, you can find that there. You can also find that at required reading with Tom and Stella.com. And then my, I guess my main show is called pop culture affidavit, which is a real hodgepodge random things in pop culture show. I do TV movies, comics, music, um, other random things. And you can also find that at popcultureaffidavit.com because I have a blog that goes along with the show. Well, thank you very much once more time for being on the show. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. As always, you know, you can support the show on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Please leave a nice, fat five-star review on iTunes if you get the chance. And until next episode, we're closed. story of the telltale heart. Take a leap, Whitey. I'm going to tell it to you. A young man killed an old man. While carrying out the crime, he, he could hear his victim's heart beating in fright. Ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. He was very glad when the man was dead. The office stopped. Then he dismembered his victim and buried him under the floorboards. Soon, he could hear a sound coming up from the floor. Ba-boom, 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 till he couldn't stand it anymore. Surely everyone heard. Eventually, guilt drove him totally insane. He never escaped your conscience. Ba-boom, ba-boom. <laughs> okay, okay. Tom, I've been cheating on you. You are a wonderful man. <laughs> <laughs>